0: to another edition of the Beervana Podcast, Jeff.
1: Hello, Patrick.
0: Hey, how's it going?
1: I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Uh, I'm well. You're back in town. I'm briefly back in town, heading back out on Sunday. Uh, Your trip back east went well, I I presume? It did, yeah. It was great to uh, see some stuff on the east coast. I got to make it down to uh, Philly and Durham, and I've often said that the furthest south I've been on the east coast was Brooklyn, so I made it a little further south, so that's good. All right.
0: And we are, of course, talking about you flogging your uh, beer Bible from Workman Publishing, which is out now. If you haven't already got your copy, do so. Uh, available at Pals.com. Uh, so is Cider Made Simple from Chronicle Publishing, your book all about cider.
1: Yes. And you are Patrick Emerson and you're a professor of economics here at uh, the glorious uh, Oregon State University in Corvallis. Are you – school, schools school back. Or are you guys – we're back in session. Back in uh, session. I'm, I don't teach this
0: term, so that, uh, that's nice. But I'm also the, essentially the chair of the department, so that
1: keeps me busy. Right. You're bu- back. Bureaucracy, yes. Back, back, at, uh, back in an academic mindset anyway. That's right. Uh, you also are a fellow at uh, the Center for Applied Microeconomics Research at Sao Paulo School of Economics, C-Micro.
0: That's right. And, you know, I'm also a research fellow at a place called the Institute for the Study of Labor, which is based in Bonn, Germany. Ah. And I've been to Germany, and the only time I've ever been actually is to visit that institute. Um, I've gone there a couple of times, and Bonn is right next to Cologne. So That's I've been right. To Cologne. But uh, I mention that because that, that brings us to the subject of today's pod, which is, uh, and I'm going to out myself, I, embarrass, I am embarrassingly uh, incredibly naive about German beer. And I remember when you took your trip to Germany and Czechoslovakia and Environ and, uh, to uh, do research for the book, I realized this about myself, that I know incredibly little about German beer. When I go to the store and I see German beers on the shelf, I can identify a few only. And uh, I know that I actually know very little about where they come from, uh, why they come from, where they come from. Uh, how they're made and so on and so forth. I know a little bit about Kölsch because I've been to Cologne. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right on. <laughs> and that's
0: it. So, uh Yeah,
1: I just want to you you're right. You know, the truth is I didn't know that much about German beer either and it was the one country before uh writing the beer bible that really freaked me out. Um I think it, it, Pacific Northwesterners especially but or uh, but uh mm-hmm. Americans in general um have gotten away from uh German beer styles. We drink ales and we like, you know, vivid hoppy ales and so um I, yeah this whole the whole world of german beer was actually uh worrying to me too um before i went and but but i went and it turns out it's not actually that complex um despite being extremely diverse it's pretty easy to wrap your head around right and so that's what we're
0: going to try to do today in fact what you're going to try to do for me uh because we haven't talked about this uh, ahead of time um <laughs> by the way as is usual with our pod yeah that's uh, right uh, uh we like to think keep things spontaneous, which is also uh, uh, synonymous with our aversion to uh, preparation.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, spontaneous is a nice word for that.
0: Uh, I actually have a theory. Um, as an economist, I would, of course, which is that I think I always associated with German beer is what we ended up with here in the U.S. in terms of Budweiser, Miller, uh, Coors. Those were the German beers that were brought over by German immigrants At the end of the 19th century, and that's what basically we got served. And so I had this sort of, I think, uh, generic signpost that was, ah, yeah, German beer is basically Bud.
1: Right. I think that's really common. Um, And it's not even, even that's not entirely accurate. Um, We we do have a lager. We did have a lager beer tradition here in the United States, partly because of Germany, um, and because we had so many German immigrants in the mid 19th century, and a lot of those guys were brewers, and they set up a lot of uh, breweries here. But they actually brewed uh, the typical uh, Bavarian beer at the time, which was a a dark lager. Mm -hmm. So all that Budweiser stuff, that was them trying to adapt the new cool lager beer that was sweeping across uh, Europe at the time, which was Pilsner beer. Mm -hmm. They were trying to figure out how to make a pale lager in the United States. Um, And as we will come to later, pale lagers didn't really hit uh, hit Germany until the late 19th century. So it's kind of a, it's kind of the truth that we have a German tradition here that our German that our lager beer tradition comes from Germany because it was from German brewers but we don't actually drink a ton of German beer here the way they drink it in Germany. So um we they get the worst of both worlds from Americans. they we don't actually know what their beer tastes like and yet we disdain it. Yeah, we think <laughs> we think <laughs> we do and we disdain it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, well so uh Germany has a uh varied and uh historic um uh, uh brewing I was trying to not use history twice, but uh um uh, brewing culture. Heritage Heritage, let's heritage. Say. thank you very much. Um what I think I know most about is uh loggers um from Bavaria, but why don't we get started and uh tell me about the uh the sort of geographical layout here. Yeah, um, we have a map in front of us, not in front of you of course, but we can think of Germany as basically one big kind of gravy stain on
1: the table here. It's a It's roughly if you had a a sheet of paper like we do. It's roughly the same size as a sheet of paper. It's kind of a, a rectangle uh, right. with a with a notch cut out of one side, which is where Bohemia sticks in on the east side. So if you imagine in your mind's eye a big uh, P- uh, uh Loose leaf piece of paper there 's two things to think about in your mind. One is uh, Bavaria, which is if you divided the uh, bottom third of the page and uh, the right hand side, if you like put your hand over that, that would be bavaria it's the it 's the southeast portion of Germany that is where lager brewing comes from yeah,
0: and that 's bordered on the east. Uh, well, the northeast border is the Czech Republic and uh, the southern
1: border is Austria. Right. Uh, and then there is um, some other state to the west of it, and I don't know my states, uh, I don't know I don't know my states and I don't know how to pronounce German words, so all you German s- people out there you, uh, and people who know Germany really well, you're just going to have to forgive us uh, for our illiteracy on certain parts of uh, our knowledge about this country.
0: Yeah, but to the west of uh, Bavaria, according according to my atlas, here is Baden-Württemberg.
1: There you go. That's that's uh, what I was going to say.
0: Stuttgart is the, the it appears to be the the main city in that.
1: That's Volkswagen country that down state. there. Yes. Um, we should, we should not <laughs> speak. <laughs> that's right. Better better like leave that one aside. Yeah. The other thing to think about is uh, the so um, that section is where lager beer comes from. All mm-hmm. the all the main lager tradition comes from there. We'll talk about a couple of dist- uh, a couple of cities that are important in lager brewing that don't come out of Bavaria, though they 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 came out of the Bavarian tradition. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's really fascinating is most of northern Germany is and which of course, when we're talking about centuries ago, these were this was not Germany. Uh, Germany is a modern state, and it was a bunch of principalities back in the day. So like the northern part. Um, would, have, would have been Prussia right. before Germany, and i don 't know what it was before that, and the south was the Holy Roman Empire, there was the Austrian Empire, the Habsburgs. all, all these kind of empires circulated around, so when we 're talking about Germany, keep in mind that this is the modern map we 're talking about right. uh, So that, that big swath across the northern, really two- thirds, if you know um, Cologne is only about it 's kind of like right in the middle, mm. um, All that stuff is where they made ales. Um, and have traditionally made ales. And a lot of ales. We're talking about, people know, Kolsch and Alt beer, which are pretty famous. Mm-hmm. But then there's Berliner Weisse. There's Goza. Uh, there's a beer called Lichtenheiner. Um, and then there was a whole tradition of, of other beers that have fallen out of, uh, you know, died off. And um, if, you, if, you, if you think about northern Germany and you think about uh, Belgium, mm-hmm. they actually have a lot more in common. Belgium is uh, right across the border from uh, Cologne and Dusseldorf, so Brussels is just not very far uh, west of that country. Mm -hmm. And the beers they were making in Brussels bear a much closer resemblance to the beer that they're making in uh, Berlin and Leipzig than anything to do with Bavaria. So this is a really important distinction, and just to drive that point home, why don't we start out our beer tasting?
0: That's right. We actually have a, a huge flight of beers here that we're going to taste, so we better get started quickly.
1: Yeah. So let's start with one of those, a classic example of just how different uh, beer in Germany can be. And we've got here in front of us a Berliner Weisse. Many Americans say Berliner Weisse. Actually, the E is voice, so it's Berliner Weisse. I'm probably still pronouncing it slightly wrong. but So I should say Porsche and not Porsche. I believe that's correct. <laughs> Uh, That's what I remember
0: from my under, my uh, high school days in German class, which I've forgotten entirely, by
1: the way. So we've got um, a Braubacher, I don't know how to pronounce this again, sorry. Uh, and this is a new brewery that I don't know anything about, um, but they make a, a traditional Berliner Weisse, which includes Saccharomyces, Britannomyces, Lactobacillus. Wow. Uh, and we're not going to have, unfortunately, for all you beer geeks out there, we're not going to have enough time to go in deeply into the way these beers are made. Mm-hmm. But until pretty recently, whoa! Ah, that's a, a, <laughs> a piece of the top of the the glass. So the, bra- the brow backer is uh, has got a bottle flaw. Should we just pour yep. into this one? Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, glass floats to the bottom. So uh, yeah, a tiny drink.
0: a tiny chip of glass came off the the top of the bottle when we
1: um, when we popped the. So uh, off it. people us. Uh, this this is a beer style that's al- almost extinct um, it was really popular in Berlin okay, this poured out by the way just incredibly effervescent there's
0: probably about two thirds head and one third beer on the bottom
1: yes and these effervescence is a key f- fix, fair, uh, characteristic of this style when uh, um, Napoleon and his troops rolled through they called it uh, the champagne of uh, Germany I can't say champagne of something because of its intense effervescence right and until recently, people didn't, uh, weren't aware of the uh, rich microflora that made up the, uh, the, the beer. They thought it was mainly just lactobacillus. But actually, mm-hmm. Brettanomyces is a really important uh, f- part of this beer style. Um, once it goes through a lactic fermentation, those Brettanomyces yeasts turn some of that lactic acid into... Various esters, and oh. those esters are really critical for the typical flavor that you get in a Berliner Weisse. And it's um, a low-alcohol beer. You'll notice here it says Schank beer. Mm-hmm. In Germany, there are categories of beer: Vol beer, Schank beer, Stark beer, Mertzen. All these are strengths. So okay. it just all that references is the strength.
0: That's good to know. So Schank beer is the lowest. Mm-hmm. I would imagine because this is labeled as 2.5 percent ABV.
1: These are. Um, People have had Berliner Weisses Probably, it's actually reviving pretty well here in the United States. They're quite tart, uh, low alcohol, wonderful sippers for the summer. Ooh, that's very nice. Yeah.
0: Compared to the ones, compared to the local versions, that one has more estery flavor to me. Yeah, and it's not quite as tart as I expected. Right. And it's not quite as tart as the ones I've had locally. The ones I've had locally tend to be tart or even just like super dry, a little bit tart, uh, and um, very subtle flavors. This one actually has
1: much more sort of esters right on the tongue. Yeah, absolutely. These are really fascinating old beer styles. They, you know, they, they go back to, um, uh, a time when, when wild beer brewing was really common and they worked with the wild yeast rather than trying to get rid of them. Um, just like they did in, uh, in, in Belgium with the lambics and wild beers that they had there. So,
0: uh, it goes without saying that Berliner Weiss is from Berlin. Um, right. This this brewery, in fact, is located in Berlin, Berlin proper, apparently.
1: Um, That's also really traditional. You'll see a lot of German styles, uh, old German styles, that have ER attached to them, uh, like Berliner, and Kottbusser and Lichtenhainer, which is a style we don't have in front of us. is mostly extinct from Lichtenhain. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really typical for every town to have its kind of own beer style and they were often named after the town so would it
0: would a town typically have a a single brewer producing a single beer style or a a number of brewers producing essentially the same style
1: i think if they were a a big enough uh, town to like have a a style associated with them they would have many uh, breweries and for example uh, berliner Weisse had many brewers Mm -hmm. in its heyday it had uh, dozens and sometimes scores of brewers in the city right. the next beer we're going to try is a goza. So it's
0: interesting that that, that though they had many uh th- this is not what economics by the way would predict ah, yes. many brewery brewers uh you think you'd want to somehow distinguish yourself by maybe uh brewing a different type of beer or at least uh monkeying with uh um, the recipe. So it's interesting that they hew they so closely to tradition.
1: We find this, though, when you see, you know, you look at national beer style, mm-hmm. people make styles that are typical for that region and people like. They don't actually, you could compete by selling Abbey ales in Berlin back in the day, but um, people didn't want that. They wanted these really refreshing beers for right. whatever reason. Geographically, so so. of
0: course, Berlin is in the uh, the northeast part of Germany, right in the middle of what used to be East Germany, although Berlin, of course, was uh, not. And so now where are we going?
1: Now we're going to go, so to, to this will also uh, kind of respond to your last question. Um, this is, we're going to go to Leipzig where uh, Goza is uh, the, the style. This actually came from a little town called Goslar before migrating to Leipzig and again uh, one time there were uh, dozens of breweries in Leipzig or a number of breweries in Leipzig making this weird style and this is Berliner is Berliner Vise is fairly understandable, especially if you know uh, uh, Belgian beers and mm-hmm. wild beers. The Goza is a weird style. It's more common in America now, so we're kind of familiar with it. The first time I had it, it was one of, easily one of the weirdest
0: birds I'd ever encountered. Yeah. At least here in the, in the Pacific Northwest, it had a brief moment in the craft beer scene. It,
1: and it's pretty durable. I'm seeing Gozas on, on my tour. Many people are still making Gozas oh, all over okay. the country.
0: Interesting. And Leipzig, by the way, is also in northeast uh, Germany and uh, uh, in the former uh, east
1: Germany. It's southwest, however, of Berlin. Yeah, and this is, I think, an important thing that I wanted to mention. So Leipzig is yeah, sou- a little bit southwest of uh, Berlin. Lichtenhain is uh, southeast of Leipzig. And then there's um, a couple of uh, towns, Bad Kustrich, probably pronouncing that wrong, uh, and Kulmbach, actually, Kulmbach is not in Kulmbach. It's a little bit south of the old East uh, Germany, but it is actually typical when you look at the Eastern Ger- uh, European countries. They managed to hang on to these weird old styles longer, mm-hmm. I think, because the Soviets did not. Uh, the Soviet bloc did not encourage innovation. Mm-hmm. There were not, you know, the markets were not rolling along in the way that we understand markets. Right. So these old styles hung on longer than they might have right. in in Western Germany. Right. Right. There
0: wasn't a lot of uh, Consumer-driven innovation. By the way, I should just uh, um, step back for a second. So the the is incredibly effen- uh, effervescent. It's quite uh, pale yellow. The Goza, on the other hand, is uh, much less effervescent um, and more amber, uh, between yellow and amber. Really, quite clear. They're both incredibly clear beers. The Goza has an amazing nose. Very a lot of spice and a little. you can even Sense a little salt on the nose.
1: Yeah, this is a beer that style is made with coriander. Um, I'm not certain that the old styles; uh, these these styles are hundreds of years old. And they, when you look at different eras, the descriptions of beers made in the 14th or in the like the 17th century versus the 19th century, they were made differently. <laughs> I don't know when coriander came into the picture. Uh, the first time I had this, you will kind of you un- not uniquely, but um, not everybody gets this reference. It this this beer style has salt in it, right? And with the acidity and the salt, it really reminded me of a lassi. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an Indian yogurt drink. An Indian yogurt drink, and I couldn't get it out of my head. It, it, yeah. so In the U.S.,
0: you often get lassis, sweet lassis, but um, salted lassis are very common in, in, in India, and you can get them in restaurants as well. But you usually, have to ask. Uh, it's an amazing. It's it's really quite a wonderful beer. It's th- this one in particular, the one I'm referring to. It's. It's not very heavy. It's 4.6% ABV, but it's got a ton of flavor and an interesting mix of spice and salt and uh, the sort of sweetness from the malt all kind of blend together in a really delightful way.
1: It is. I actually really like this. And I found the American goses to be a little bit tarter than this, a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, this is not aggressively tart at all. No, and it, uh, uh, the first time I had this, I bought a bottle, I found a bottle at a local bottle shop and took it home, and it was a hot day, it was a hot summer day, mm-hmm. and there was something incredibly refreshing about it. It yeah. was almost like the beer version of Gatorade. It's right. like has electrolyte solution somehow. Yeah, maybe it's part of the salt, because I think that's one of the things your body craves. I always
0: crave salt on hot days when I'm sweating. Yeah. The um, uh, Going back to the blender Vice by the way, also because you mentioned the local varieties. This Berliner Weiss that we have here is very quaffable just on its own. It sometimes is. sometimes uh, locally you'll have balinerweisses served with uh syrup to kind of cut the tartness and, and the
1: um and the acidity. And I think this, I, 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 I need to do a little bit more research on this, but I'm pretty sure that was a debasement that uh, the Berliner Weisse breweries were y- introducing to make it palatable to people's palates who were changing right. and moving away from that right. So This
0: particular version, this Braubacher one, uh, is, needs no addition. It's, it's very uh, quaffable. Yeah, it's very nice. Okay, so we started in Berlin, with so Berliner Weisse. We've gone down southwest slightly of Berlin, but still in the old East Germany into Leipzig.
1: Yeah, and I just Heikoza. while we're talking about uh, North German ales, let's just mention some of the other stuff that happened here. Yeah, people, people, most Americans will have encountered an alt beer or a, a Kolsch, yes, uh, which are on the other side of northern uh, Germany, on the west side, closer to Belgium. Yeah, closer to Belgium. Those are pretty classic beer styles that are familiar. I think one reason that they've been popular in the United States is they're not that weird. Um, the a Kolsch is uh very much very lager like. It's got a little bit of ester formation, uh, in the way they make it. Uh and the the alt beer is also lager like a little bit a little bit less uh uh it's got a little bit more fruitiness too, but pretty familiar um styles of beer. Yeah, you have here on this map that alt beer is associated with Dusseldorf, is that right. Dusseldorf is in uh, yeah, Alt is in Dusseldorf and Kolsch is in Cologne and you've been to Kolsch so you'll uh, you'll uh, appreciate that it's the same way in, in Dusseldorf. The only beer you find is mm-hmm. all beer everywhere you go. Yeah. So again, it's like what you said earlier. There's there's really no reason why these cities couldn't sell other beer, even things like Weizen beer or uh, Pilsners. But they don't. They the the local people are are really, con, you know, connected to these beer styles. Right.
0: And Kolsch I assume the SCH is probably like the the uh, INER in the sense that Kolsch is from Kolm. So it's the beer of Kolm, I imagine, is what Kolsch is. Yeah, I think that's right. But what what, what is, What's Alt?
1: Yeah, so Alt beer is, uh, Alt means old, mm-hmm. uh, and it, uh, it refers to the ale tradition. But what's interesting about these two beers is that they're actually not that old. They're relatively recent, and they've gone through some changes to adapt to the lager market. They've clearly been influenced by uh, uh, lager brewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, There is a brewery, uh, a beer style called Munster Alt from the town of Munster, which is still available. It's made by Pincus. It's the last example. It's an alt beer. It's a pale alt beer. Mm. Our Dusseldorf alts are dark, Mm -hmm. darker beers. Uh, Munster Alt is a pale beer, and it's sour. So it is a much more traditional old beer, old ale style. Uh, These beers are what are known locally as, and you're going to have to help me out here, Obergeriga. Gerigas lager beer, which, okay. which is to say top fermented lager beer, Alt and Kolsch, are made with ale yeasts, pretty typically normal fermentations, the mid-60s, right. but then they're uh, lagered for a month. Right. So they are top fermented, which is to say ale, and and then lagered. So this is clearly a kind of a, an evolution in beer styles. Um, so that's that's kind of the northern strain um when you think of northern germany you're you're going to be thinking of ales lighter beers uh mm-hmm. sometimes funky beers um the Lichtenhainer, which we don't have here is a uh it has a it's made with smoked malt so right um it's a it's like sometimes people call it a, a smoked berliner Weisse. we mm-hmm. saw that This summer, uh, somebody had a, I think it was Burnside had something they called a smoked Berliner Weisse. Mm -hmm. That's a Lichtenheiner. So, very different from what we think of. I mean, these beers are, you know, these beers taste like Belgian beers. And when we have this impression of German beer, we think of, uh, you know, this is the the place of lagers. But actually, northern Germany, not so much. Yeah, interesting. As a transition, we're going to talk a little bit about about the Bavarian tradition. The Bavarian tradition is the most important tradition in Germany by far. Um, and we will talk about that. But we're going to work our way down. We're going okay. to go into a place called Franconia. Our next stop. Franconia is an old uh, principality that was just north of uh, Bavaria and has now been um, subsumed in Bavaria. Uh-huh. And there's a town there called Bomberg. And beer people will know Bomberg because it is home to uh, – it's a tiny town, like 70,000 people. I think there's 11 breweries there. <laughs> and two of the breweries are incredibly important breweries, um, uh, they are Spezial and the one that we have here Schlenkerla mm-hmm. and they make an old 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 style beer called rauch beer ah. uh rauk beer rauch means smoked mm-hmm. so they make their uh own malt they malt their own uh grain right. in the in the brewery and these beers taste like what probably medieval beers tasted like they're they're uh they use they uh they smoke them over uh beech and uh they make smoked beer. So, here you wow. go. Here's a Schlenkerla.
0: Okay. So, as you might expect, it's very dark. I'm Holding sh- up to the light, it's a it's it's uh definitely got a lot of red in it. Um has a nice wow, very smoke smoky on the nose. It is very smoky beer. It is very
1: smoky. This is the the Speziell is much less smoky than um Schlenkerle. Uh and and in my view, Schlenkerle is by far the more more interesting of the two beers. Um, on the bottle, the, their typical beer, which would which they just was kind of their house beer for for decades, they call a Märzen we're going to get to märzen in a, in a minute because mm-hmm. people associate that oktoberfest märzen yes. they they uh, associate it with a, an amber style beer. Mm-hmm. In Germany märzen actually is a strength. It means it's a little bit stronger beer. Ah, okay. And so it doesn't actually most märzens now by tradition are amber colored, but they don't have to be and this is a classic example. If you want to like beer geek your, your your friends, you can let them know that uh Mertzen does not necessarily mean amber.
0: I'm not sure that I've ever actually had an authentic uh, German smoked beer. I've had a bunch of local craft beer versions of a smoked beer, um, which um, I'll admit I'm not the biggest fan of smoke, but this is different in the following sense. I often find the sort of flavor of smoked beers locally to be a little bit overwhelming. And mm. What this is interesting is it's it's incredibly strong on the nose, but not nearly as strong on the tongue. So it's
1: sort of, it's much milder, I think. That's interesting. It is, and it seems incredibly intense to me. I love it, um, but I think it's it's quite intense. Yeah. When I visited the brewery, and we're going to have some uh, some audio here uh, from uh, Matthias Trum in a moment, the the uh, fifth generation, I'm going to say fifth generation uh, owner of the brewery, and his his father had just stepped down, and he was when I visited, I think he was just 38. Really charming, very smart guy who knows a lot about beer and um, he says that if you come to bomberg you have to have rock beer cuz that's that's like a, it's like a national trust and so mm-hmm. in the city you have to have rock beer and if you have rock beer uh it's so intense and so weird you have to have uh 3 pints ah. the first pint you have to have just to become acquainted with the flavors of the uh, smokiness and like to that. like blast through your preconceptions yeah. the second one uh is where you begin to harmonize with the sense of the beer and in the, in the by the time you have your third pint you can actually taste what's behind the smoke then you can actually taste the beer you can taste what the the subtle malt notes are and right. you get the, beyond the smoke yeah the, and then it kind the intense of intense smoke flavor oh, right it falls it's like being in a room that's filled with smoke after a while your mind tunes out the smoke and you can smell other fla- other things in the, oh, it's there it's like you go. That. so
0: tip to consumers so right. buy a few bottles that's and right And spend an evening with yeah.
1: smoke beer to get to know it or travel to Bomberg because it's very cool.
0: Okay, so I want to go back to this really quickly because the first one, the Berliner Re- Weisse we uh, we had, which is two point five percent ABV, was a shank beer. Yes. And then this uh, smoked beer is a Marzen. Uh, do they have the ABV? They don't. What do you? What would you guess?
1: I think it's it's going to be like five and a half. Okay.
0: And so that's a Marzen. Is there anything between shank beer and Marzen? I think it's Vol beer. Vol beer. So would that be probably what this goes is perhaps? I think.
1: The- uh, yeah, I'm not sure what the okay goes. It will be. I think I think vol beer is the there's the standard. This is also the case in the Czech Republic that mm-hmm. there's the um the st- a standard strength beer is going to be around five. Okay. In the f- in the low in the high fours to low fives, okay. and that's kind of the standard beer. I think that's a vol beer. I'm not I'm not totally sure. We don't really relate to these in America, and I I didn't pay close attention to that. Okay. I, in fact, in the book, that's I didn't even really write about it because it's a it's another layer of complexity that's unnecessary. to yeah, I just find it interesting close because Marzen—I—I
0: I never knew Marzen referred to strength rather than a, than a distinct style. So,
1: right, five point two. I just says five point two. So I don't know. There you go. There you go. We've wandered. Of course, I've chosen a topic to wander into that I'm not. That i do not great command over.
0: That's that's my specialty—is getting you off into culdesacs <laughs> where you can't get out. Uh, the, by the way, the five point two with the Ralph beer. That's yes, that's what we've just had.
1: Uh, yeah. Um.
0: So Ralph Beer, uh, hold on. I want to make sure I know what I'm talking about here. Ralph Beer is the smoked beer, and it's an ale or a lager? This is a lager. Okay. So now we're down into lager country.
1: Yeah. And um, the sh- these smoked beers, of course, this style of smoking the malt mm-hmm. would have is, is an ancient thing. would long predate even lager beer brewing, which, which was, is 500 years old at this point, over 500 years old. Um, but at, at a certain point, um, lager beer brewing became popular and and, you know centuries ago these breweries switched over to lagers so that's that's what that is this by the way this pub is possibly the coolest pub in the world uh, that's associated with this it's in downtown yeah it's in downtown Bomberg Bomberg was is so remote um, if you look at a map there's a little chunk out of the out of the lower side of the the country and Mm -hmm. that chunk is where the Czech Republic is And if you if you it looks like an arrow, and if you follow the arrow an inch in <laughs> on a map, you're gonna find Bomberg. That's where Bomberg is. So it's it's uh it's actually not that much further south than Cologne. I mean it it's it's kind of in the center of the country.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit it's a little bit northwest of Nuremberg.
1: Yeah. It was far enough away that it never got bombed from anything. Like the the Allies never took notice of it. Right. So it is Completely self-contained. It's a medieval city. It's very hilly, and it's gorgeous. <laughs> destroying, the,
0: destroying the industrial infrastructure for beer was not particular, uh, yeah. particularly important for the war goals. Yeah.
1: That's right. So uh, much of the city is uh, very, very old. It's got a, two cathedrals. Not, not just one it has two. They're amazing. One is from you know, like 900, and one's from 1400 or something, like the uh-huh. new and the old one. Um, and the, the, the pub is 600 years old. So you're sitting in that pub that's 600 years old, and you're looking out a tableau of half-timbered Bavarian houses, in like almost like a movie set. And you can—it's one of the rare places on the planet that you could imagine that this, the the scene has changed almost not at all, you know, in hundreds of years, right. um, you know, except for maybe the clothing of the people you're looking at. But basically, the beer, the pub, the city—they're all changeless and it's really cool. It's definitely so, worth a stop on your beer on your beer tourist. Yeah.
0: Route. Absolutely. So you spent some time with Matthias Trum?
1: Yep. And we're going to I wanted to this is we can have a brief uh moment to consider what the beer industry in Germany is like and Matthias uh had some interesting things to say about that. Um, the 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 difficulty with with Germany and we're going to do a couple of quotes from Matthias, is uh, people are really hidebound. They believe that German beer is absolutely the best, um, which you know most countries do. But um, in Germany, it's really the case that that um, they're totally convinced about the country's sort of superiority in brewing. So let's hear uh, Herr Trum mention that, and then we'll we'll. Explain what a challenge that poses uh, to a brewer. Okay, we'll go to it now.
2: And then this national idea of, that's where I come from. This is better than what others do. You know, our army is better than the other one. Our (laughs) food is better Ah, than the one of the friends. And the one thing was exactly translated into the other. Nowadays, the people drink... Uh, the, uh, the the the, Coloche, uh, the, the, the or the beer because they're convinced it's the best beer in the world.
1: And uh, that was a little uh, hard to hear because we were in that wonderful six hundred year old pub. But he was basically just saying that the people love their beer and they think they're convinced it's the best. The downside with that is that they are not excited about uh, the breweries having different styles of beer. So a brewer couldn't just do what would we do in America and say, I'm going to brew an IPA. You'll like that. Mm-hmm. They're really not cool with that. Their their tradition is everything. Um, so the breweries, and the bad thing about the German beer market right now is people drinking less and less beer. Um, it's way down over the last like 30 years. People just keep drinking less and less beer. They don't want the brewers to change the beer. They don't allow the brewers to introduce new beer styles. Right. So it's like this catch-22. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what the clever traditional breweries have done, though, is they figured out a way to introduce new beers. I'll put that in, in quotes. Air quotes, yeah. Air, yeah, air quotes. Uh, and that is they look into their archives and figure out what people were brewing uh, long ago and reintroduce these weird, old, forgotten beers. Um, and when people ask, you know, oh, is this traditional? What is
0: this crazy new thing you've got? Oh, no, no, no. It's, this is a recipe we had since 625.
1: Exactly. And Don't worry. And they can tinker with those a little bit and work with those a little bit. Right. So over the t- over over the period of time that he's been in um, the the head brewer at Schlankerla, Matthias has has introduced uh, a helles beer. Uh, I think that the Weizen they may have had, but a few others, a Bach beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, been able to tinker with those around the edges and kind of do some fun stuff, and he gets to be creative, and it does exactly what happened in the United States. People get excited because there's a new flavor, and they're not, that doesn't raise their hackles. So why don't we listen to Matthias talk about his process there, and then then maybe you can talk about this weird context of of German beer drinking. Okay, we'll go to it now.
2: When I started, I wanted to, do some things of my own, have my own babies, And um, in a historic brewery, you can, of course, not start doing (laughs) Goose or uh, a Belgian triple, which is historic in Belgium, but not in Bamberg and definitely not in Schlankala. So um, the idea for me was, um, what can I do in order to be inventive on one hand, but being historically correct on the other, uh, other hand? So a little bit similar to what Schneider says, we looked in our archives, blah, blah, blah. Well, I didn't look in our archives because there are, there are archives, but there's no recipes written down there. Mm. But what I did when I uh, studied in Main Stefan, I ha- did my major on the history of brewing. So I found all kinds of recipes and beer styles doing mm-hmm. that. And um, I just asked myself in the old times when only smoke kilning was available and all the other technologies were not, how, must have these
1: old stars taste it. so just one fascinating uh thing you heard that popping that was not actually audio popping. we were standing next to his wood fired kiln uh at the time that he was giving that quote, and so that was the wood popping
0: so it's an open fire
1: it's an well yeah, it's an open fire underneath uh, yeah there's a it's there's a little kiln, and mm-hmm. we were standing where you load the fire oh nice, yeah, it was very cool, nice and warm it was very nice and warm <laughs> it was fall too uh so Anyway, you know, as a as a, a an economist um, who who talks a lot about markets, this is one of those ways in which markets are perverted and weird. They're not they're not uh, organic. They're yeah odd. Uh, yeah.
0: I mean, uh, you know, people's taste. I, I suppose I suppose the first observation is just to say that that markets are shaped by people's tastes. Right. And uh, one of the things about being an economist in the United States is that we're very unbound by most tradition. Um, out here in the new world. Uh, country of immigrants and a melange of cultural influences and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, an American brewer doesn't have typically that kind of traditional, uh, I don't know, inertia in a marketplace. So it's really interesting for me. I don't actually have great, you know, great other, other insight, but it's just very interesting to me how, how, um, you know, the craft beer movement in the United States is a market that's been created out of sort of uh, repeated interaction with this new good and people yeah. understanding what it is and how they like it. Um, well, in Germany, they've had an interaction and they know what they like. And I think any new interaction is some sort of perversion of, of that tradition. And so, um, yeah, it's just, an, it's, it's just an incredibly different market. I'll, I'll bring it back to you, though. Are there any sort of crazy, innovative American style craft brewers in Germany that you know of?
1: Yeah, there are, and they are surprising, unsurprisingly, happening up there in the north. You know, Berlin is a great market for mm-hmm. new new breweries. There's a new brewery in Cologne that's doing some interesting stuff. So in the north, uh, the south is much more uh, conservative. Bavaria is a very conservative place, culturally conservative place. Uh-huh. Um, they don't, they're not into change down there right. in Bavaria. Um, in the north, you know, you have very liberal. Uh, social values—you have a lot of change, um, and yeah, you're seeing some of that. So I think I think that will actually begin. I think uh, Germany's slow on the off the marks there, but they're gonna they're gonna start. You're gonna start seeing that stuff.
0: Yeah. So it might be it might be just the new sort of the new interlopers that come in, and, and the traditional breweries are gonna have a hard time. Um, but it could over time sort of evolve into something that's what kind of what you see in England right now, which is sort of a bunch of traditional brewers and a bunch of craft brewers all finding sort of common ground and yeah uh doing doing each other's thing a little bit, so well, let's keep moving on because uh time's a yeah. wasting so we are now into bavaria
1: let's go to bavaria so Bavaria is the uh the, this the bavaria Bavarians were the ones who figured out how to do lager brewing mm-hmm. and this is one of those biological things that happened that nobody knows how because it happened so long ago, but they started selecting for a yeast strain that would ferment at cool temperatures uh. and over the period of uh decades and they for environmental reasons because it was cold there and that's when they wanted or yeah wanted. that I think that was part of it um it, it is uh, it is true that um there is greater elevation in Bavaria so even though it's further south mm-hmm. than northern uh, Germany it is colder there but one thing they were doing was they were storing their beer in caves in uh, over the summer particularly uh-huh. uh and doing doing fermentation at lower temperatures mm-hmm. and it's selected for this type of yeast, uh, you know, we had natural, nat- natural selection in the fermenter, right. um, and that yeast is what we now know as lager yeast, and, it, and it produced, it's a slow fermentation, produces these rich, uh, mellow flavors, and incidentally, in a period before we had uh, modern technology, microbiological technology, um, we th- it was a really good way to Im- inhibit uh, infection. So uh, right. this beer was considered really good by those people who knew it, but it was the hinterland. It was down there in Bavaria, and it was great beer, but it was nobody was really drinking it. So we just tried the Rauch beer. So the early, the earliest uh, lagers, uh, and you can go ahead and drink that. We're go- we have a Dunkel here in front of us. The earliest lagers would have been dark. Dunkel means dark, okay. and they would have been made with these kinds of malts that we had in the the, the Schlenkerle. They would have been roasty and and uh, you know have a uh, kind of rustic quality right this beer um that we're going to try is a descendant of that and uh is sort of like the oldest uh lager in the world though there have been changes so, so this
0: is an iinger. uh out Alt-bar- dunkel
1: yes and i have no idea what that means but uh, um
0: uh, but it's a dunkel from Heingar. It's uh, labeled on the top as authentic Bavarian dark. So let's let's take a look first. It's um, it's uh, not nearly as dark as the the Rauch beer, but it's it's still it's dark. It's uh, uh, sort of a caramel with a little bit of red in it. Um, but uh, I guess we would sort of
1: call it sort of an American red almost uh, uh, color. Yeah, yeah, dunkels are often not porter or dark. Yeah, I don't want to
0: give the wrong impression. So right. this is sort of from American sense. This is kind of a medium body, I suppose.
1: So while you're while we're doing that, I'm going to pour out this the second beer because it relates closely to this one. So by uh, the way, I'm
0: just going to say so. I know some of these. I'm familiar with the Goza and the and the Blinder Visa because they've become kind of popular to try to replicate locally. Um, but if you gave them to me without any context and I hadn't had any previous knowledge, never in a million years would I have associated them with Germany. Right now. I'm starting to
1: sort of my body's ticking to oh yeah this is a German beer right yeah this is a this is a classic German beer and in uh, it's it's worth saying that if you go to Germany you'll have a very very hard time finding Berliner Weisse you will just yeah. not go into a place and find it you unless you're in Leipzig you will not find uh, Goza unless you're in Bomberg, you're not going to find Rauch beer if you're anywhere in Bavaria. Mm-hmm. any pub you walk into in Bavaria, they're going to have a Dunkel. Wow. They're going to have a, a Dunkel and they're going to have a Helles beer. Those okay. two for sure. And then they may have other beers. Yeah. But those will be, those are in literally every single pub in all of Bavaria. So this Dunkel is really nice.
0: It's got a very uh, nice little subtle, dark, roasty malt flavor, but very subtle. Yep. Uh, That's a good definitely one. has that lager flavor. Uh, yep, very smooth. Well. Very yeah. smooth.
1: Yeah, it's got it. so it's got to me a little bit of caramel note too, mm-hmm. yeah. and this is a clue to the modern dunkel and where we've changed. Uh, back in the 19th century, there were these two guys. They were kind of famous brewer guys. One of them was uh, Gabriel Settlmeyer, and he was from the Spaten Brewery. His mm-hmm. father was the master brewer, and their guy was Anton Dreyer, and he was from. Uh, a brewery in Vienna. His father was a a famous brewer. Mm -hmm. And they went off, uh, they were young guys and they wanted to learn about brewing. And they went off on this great odyssey. They went to England and they learned uh, a couple of really important things in England. Uh, They learned about the yeast there. England at that point was far, far more sophisticated than any other uh, brewing country in the world. Mm So they learned about their yeast maintenance techniques. They learned about uh, wort cooling and and a few other things. But one thing that they really learned about was pale malting. That was when pale ales were very big in England. Mm -hmm. Pale ales were coming on then. And uh, nobody in in, uh, the German-speaking world was making beers with that kind of pale malt. So when they came back, these two guys, they uh, kind of invented two malts, which as a home brewer and other people will know very well, uh, are super familiar to us. Uh, Dreher invented a malt called, which we now called Vienna malt. Mm, indeed. And uh, For A while
0: I was in love with that. Everything I brewed had some Vienna malt.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great malt. And Settlemyer brewed, uh, created a malt called Munich malt. Oh, so these these are the the modern malts that these things evolved into. So now Dunkel is made with uh, a huge amount of Munich malt, and uh, there's a, there's. A, Munich malt in the second beer that we have, which is a Spaten, mm-hmm. cue the Spaten, uh, an Oktoberfest. So about this time, so we're in the middle 19th century, uh, this new fest down there in Munich was getting going and becoming popular, and Spaten released uh, a f- one of their, the beers for the fest beer there, and it was this amber lager, and it was kind of shocking how light it was compared to the, uh, the Dunkel lagers. Oh, that they I were.
0: thought, interesting, yeah.
1: Yeah. So lighter, Too light. It was. It wasn't shockingly light, but it was kind of like racy how light it was. Yeah, it is.
0: It is a shade lighter than the than the dunkel we just had.
1: Yeah, and this one is a great one. I didn't actually. I hadn't remembered that it was this dark. A lot of the modern Oktoberfests you're going to get in in Munich are quite light. They're almost hellesses. So this is great. This is actually probably something similar. They call it the Urmerzen here mm. on on the label, the Spaten the spot bottle. Um and it actually is probably pretty close. That's, you know, it was going to be dark and and you can imagine if you were only drinking dark beers, this would seem kind of like a pale yeah, ale yes to you.
0: So it is. Um yes, so I'll just try to describe this. I'm I've learned now that I'm pretty bad at this, but <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think you uh yeah, to my color blind uh, The head isn't quite as
0: creamy by the way. It's um the, the, More the the bubbles are more pronounced, um, and you can see they're clinging the lacing clinging to the bottle a bit more. They're sort of large, but um, it is a shade a shade lighter. It's really sort of an a light amber.
1: Yeah, kind of. You could if you somebody handed this to you in an English pub, you would not be surprised. Oh yeah, no,
0: this looks very very English colored. Yeah, you would think that this is a a best bitter or something along those lines.
1: These beers, a tipple here. These are Ooh. are called are known as fest beers. Uh, Oktoberfest. Only six breweries are allowed to call their beer Oktoberfest, and those right. are the ones that are, are served at the Oktoberfest festival in Munich. Uh, in Munich. Okay. And if other breweries want to make them outside of that, they call them fest beers. Uh, okay. So
0: and Oktoberfest celebrates fall.
1: Well, it was originally uh, a wedding ceremony right. between um, the king's daughter. And, or the king's son, and uh, I don't know, some woman, That's T- the, Teresa.
0: Hat to, to, to you. Sometimes I lead you down cul-de-sacs and you're, you're lost, and then sometimes you just pop out with this amazing arcana. There.
1: <laughs> yeah, there were horse races, and it was a big <laughs> thing. And it was such a big success, they thought, hey, we should do this next year. And then, uh, you know, they were that became a tradition. And it's a tradition in just about most
0: American cities. There's some kind of version of Oktoberfest that goes on. There was one here, just... just in my neighborhood. Yeah. Not
1: too long ago. So that is not um a very fresh bottle, so whatever. It's Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. In fact I'd say the Eyinger also is a little bit slightly old as well. But uh Okay. So we've yeah, moved into right. Bavaria. We started with uh the Dunkel, which you've explained to us was uh the dark dark malts was where it started and then things started to get lighter after the exposure to English beer.
1: Yeah, That's and then there's now we have a uh, Bach beer in front of Ooh, us. Was, uh, excuse me. I was
0: trying to get the, the bottle. Ah, there we
1: go. Very nice. <laughs> it crashed I, into I bumped, the mic. I my mic. And... <laughs> um, oh,
0: goodness. Hello. Oh, that's Holy unusual. Geez, it's coming over. By the way, uh, what we have in, uh, that I'm opening now is the Celebrator Doppelbach, also from Iinger, And it comes with a cute little, what, goat? Yeah, goat. So we're gonna
1: we're gonna talk about that goat here. Okay, in a minute. Let's talk about that goat. It's a
0: little a little doily that they dangle over the bottle. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I was uh, remarking because it um, it uh, frothed over here.
1: It's unusual. I'm surprised about that. Uh, so the Bach beer is it's
0: a sitting here on the table by the way it hasn't been agitated.
1: Right. The Bach beer is an interesting thing. So this this is the Doppelbach, and this was originally uh, a style that local monks in Bavaria uh, invented, and they called it. Salvatore uh, which you may know as the Palahner brand of Doppelbach mm. and at the time uh, other people started calling it, uh, copying it and they all called it Salvatore, that was the style name uh, but then at a certain point the Polaner brewery decided to trademark it and it pissed everybody else off <laughs> and so they used this, when you see this uh, this ER thing, uh, it refers it, it goes back to that, so everybody else Chose uh, the ER suffix to re- to reference their Doppelbach when they did a Doppelbock. Mm-hmm. So this is Celebrator, so it's got that. And there's Optimator is one, mm-hmm. and all these. There's w- it's kind of a tradition, and it's sort of every time they do, every time a brewery does that, it's a little poke in the eye to Pullaner for for trying to trademark a style name. Uh, I see. So. Uh,
0: Bach means?
1: Bach is an interesting thing. So I am going to, I'm actually going to read from the Beer Bible because I think this will be quicker than if I do it. Okay. Uh, Bach's strange name. This is a sidebar in the Beer Bible. This, By the way, this book is filled with these fascinating little uh, anecdotes little and stories. Yeah. anecdotes,
0: sidebars, yeah, paint, wonderf- researched, wonderfully written. I wonderfully know, it's, written. It's a great book. Everyone so, should have one.
1: Uh, just to back up just a bit, uh, this style originally came from the town of Einbeck, uh, which is a northern uh, German town. And it was brewed by Matthias Pickler at the uh, Hofbrau Brewery uh, in Munich. And he converted it from an ale to a lager, mm-hmm. the, box, the general Bach style. He was bring what we would now call a mm-hmm. Um So it comes from that. And then, so there's this word It came from Einbeck. Does it refer to Einbach? Uh, the word Bach is the German word for goat. So you saw the goat. Uh, which was hanging from the thing. And uh, it, when, you, when you look at bottles of uh, Bach, they almost always have a goat on it. Okay. So people think it relates to goat, which, you know, that kind of makes sense. But then what does goat have to do with beer? That's kind of queer. Like all this stuff is kind of queer. So I'm just going to read this to you. Uh, bottles of Bach regularly feature a goat on the label, a visual pun. One of the meanings of Bach in German is goat. But how did the beer come to be called Bach in the first place? Well, let's step back. Germany is a land of many dialects. In the 1880s, an imperial linguist named George Wenker found that there were nine separate dialects across Germany. Even today, Bavarians are ribbed uh, by Northerners for their funny accents. So imagine the late 16th century when Einbeckers, Wenker called their dialect West Low German, were shipping beer to Munich. What started out as Einpuckish beer I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, mm-hmm. uh, in Einbeck eventually ended ended up as Bach beer in Munich. Neither city's, pronunc- neither city's pronunciation had anything to do with goats. Ah, okay. so, so that's the thing. The it place. was just because the Bavarians were butchering the word Ein Pockish beer. <laughs> so that's the true that's story where, of the name. That's where Bach comes from.
0: And this is a Doppelbach?
1: This is a Doppelbach, and even Americans know this beer style. And if they've had the fortune of trying it, they are lovely beers. And most Americans e- even kind of enjoy them. Unbidden. It's the one German style I think Americans sort of like. This, and
0: is, this one is a very dark one. In fact, it's even darker. I'm looking than the Rauchbier.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's it's typically
0: sort of porter style dark. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and is that true just of the Doppelbach or? Yeah,
1: Doppelbach mostly of the well? Doppelbach. Okay. So there's there's all different kinds of box. And in fact, in the fall in Bomberg and around uh, Franconia, they have a thing called. Uh, Bach beer and Stitch, which is, they release an annual Bock. Each brewery releases their annual Bock, and the and Stitch is like the season of this. And so when you're there, if you visit in the, the fall, they all release their, their box and you go to the brewery, and they have this big thing. They usually have a wooden cask, and it's very cool. So, so it so.
0: seems, this one I've sort of described crudely as kind of the lager style of stout, sort of a a lager stout. Yeah, I love
1: this beer. This one is actually kind of weak compared to the other ones. It's only 6.5%. But it's still my favorite, which is why that's, I chose it. That's not weak for me. Well, they usually <laughs> come in around eight. It's <laughs> kind of a typical doppelbock strength. But this has a kind of um, uh, richness, and uh, all, uh, every bottle I've had, it kind of tastes slightly mm. oxidized. It has mm-hmm. that sherry note. Yeah. Fresh out of the that that I don't know how they do that. They somehow they brew it that way. There, oh, it's an intentional flavor that gives it this kind of sophisticated, refined, aged quality. In huh. it.
0: And so a regular Bach would be typically what? How how strong?
1: Six and a half percent. Like this was more like a typical Bach. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a, a doppel would be uh, eight or and nine. And would a typical Bach be as dark? It would still be? A typical Bach, like if you go to Franconia in the fall, you're going to find beers that are not quite this dark but are but are a little bit darker. The My Box that they release in the Lenten season, um, which is actually when they released the Box too. That was when the, Salva, the Salvatore was originally released. Those are pale, so those are like color of a Helles beer. Uh, we should also mention that when you go to a pub, you'll also get a Helles beer. Two beers we're not mentioning here are Pilsners and Helleses. They're very similar, and also a Dortmunder. Oh, and we had a question. Ah, oh, we're running out of time. It's already late, and we're running out of time, and people are asking questions. Nah, this
0: is a pod. There is no running out of time. Come on.
1: Oh, people are getting just tired and... Well, anyway. uh, they
0: can turn it off, they can take a rest, they can come back. All right. It's been a long journey. By the way, let me as you as you look up the question, let me just sort of recap our journey through uh, Germany because it is getting a little long and you want to keep up. So we started in the, the northeast part of Germany. We've learned that most of northern Germany was ale territory, on, uh, um, which is sort of counter to most people's impression of German beer being all lagers. Uh, we started in the northeast in Berlin where we had a Berliner Weisse, which is a sour tart ale. Um, very dry, light this case. Then we went down to Leipzig where we had uh, the Goza style, which is a, a spiced and salted uh, ale beer. Um, we went down to uh, Bamberg where we had the Rausch beer, uh, which is a very strong smoke beer. And then we finally ended up, uh, well, we took a little detour um, to the west just to mention the fact that Alt and uh, Kolsch come from Dusseldorf and Cologne. Uh, respectively, and they are uh, both ales, um, and that's from the western part of Germany. That's quite close to uh, Belgium. Uh, now we've moved down to uh, Bavaria, where uh, a lot of uh, people's impression of German beer comes from. We started with a Dunkel from Eyinger and then a, a Spaten Oktoberfest, and now we're talking about uh, the Double Art Alt from uh, a Double Box. Excuse me, from uh, from Einger. So.
1: And away. and I think we need to mention pale lagers because they are the most common beers in yes. in Germany. And there are two varieties that are that are common uh, in Bavaria. You'll find Helles beer, mm-hmm. uh, and in the rest of the country, you'll find Pilsner. Okay, and uh, you used to find in Dortmund, which is near Dusseldorf, a beer called Export. And so people in America often wonder what what's the difference between these beers? Why are there three beers? Mm-hmm. They're all very similar, and it's true they're all. They're actually all really quite and similar. And the Dortmund
0: export is a lager, but it is in the sort of territory that we have identified as ale territory.
1: That's right. So there were there were some. Uh, uh, there's a, there, if if you if you imagine this whole thing as a yin and the yin yin and yang, mm-hmm. then uh, uh, Dortmund is the uh, lager dot in the the right. the, the, the ale area, right. and we're going to talk in an, we're going to talk right now about uh, the uh, ale dot in Bavaria, which is uh, vice. Beer, oh, which okay. are the Excellent. wheat beers. Yeah. Um, but just to, just to Jonathan H. Lee, I think that's how you pronounce his name, Jonathan. I'm really sorry. I know I met you and I've uh, you've told me how to pronounce your name, but it's been a while and I kind of forgot. What, how, what's the difference between these three beers? There's actually, the truth is, there's not a ton of difference. Uh, Pilsner's are a little bit hoppier. They get hoppier the further you go north. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pil- uh, the Hellas beers are much, they're really focused on um, the malt. So their brewers are. Uh, very selective about the malt styles they use. So when you go to one pub, you can tell the malt. You go to another pub, the malt will be different. Mm-hmm. And then uh, export beers are a kind of hoppy pilsner that's a little bit stronger. So export was a style that was made strong for export. Right. And they have mostly died out. There's one uh, one brewery left in Dortmund that makes an export, but it's actually not even export strength anymore. It's like 5%. It's, mm-hmm. D, it's DABs and it's not a good beer, and so that style is essentially defunct. So
0: okay. We don't have examples here, but if I was interested in a classic German Pilsner, what would you recommend that we could find in the
1: U.S.? I think, so they, they, they do vary quite a bit. Um, some of them are a little bit hoppier. There's one called Yever, which is comes from North Germany. I'm not actually sure where, which town it comes from, and it is maybe the one that the Americans would like the most. It's got kind of a... a a little bit of a bite. The hops are kind of a little, little sharp, and uh, they—it is a nice. It's a pretty nice beer. It's got some character. I mean, you'll you'll find German pilsners all over the place, but look if you look out for Yever, it's a we pretty good beer. You
0: can find G- German pilsners made in Berkeley, California. So.
1: <laughs> Actually, that one's Austrian.
0: Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, okay. Excuse me. Then see, this is how little I know. There you go. So Trumer Pils is an
1: Austrian company. It is. Oh. Off, I know. I didn't know that either, but I knew somebody who worked there, so he, he edumacated me on uh, where they <laughs> were from. I know Austria. Even even the truth is, I don't know that much difference between Austria and Germany. Before yeah. I started this, like yeah, they're German speaking countries and they're connected, and they whatever. so
0: Pilsner presumably is something that the Germans stole from the Czechs.
1: Yeah, well, that story is interesting. We talked about how uh, the uh, beers were getting lighter as Spaten introduced uh the the munich malted uh fest beer right well later in the 1890s spaten released a beer called helles because at this point uh pilsners had been around 50 years and they were really creating a big stir all over the world and the but the germans were the the, the bavarians were resolutely refusing to brew them mm-hmm. pilsen where loggers w- where pilsners were born mm-hmm was invented by a Bavarian brewer. The first two or three brewers at the Pilsner Brewery were Bavarian. The first brewers at uh, the Budvar Brewery were Bavarian. Lager lager brewing came from Bavaria, and the the Czech breweries that started up brewing Pilsners were made by Bavarians, because they knew how to make lager beer. And the Munichers were damned certain they were never gonna drink that stuff, because they they drank dark (laughs) beer, by God. And so Spaten finally released to this beer called Hellas, which means like light okay. uh, or pale. I about to ask you that. And, uh, and it, it was such a controversial move. They have a brewer's guild, or had a brewer's guild in Munich at the time. It was so controversial, many of the brewers there said, we want Spaten ejected. We want a schism. You can't brew that here in 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 Munich. We are a dark <laughs> beer town. Exercise
0: for the, Yeah. The it, sin of, of brewing light beer.
1: <laughs> so it was very controversial. Uh-huh. They finally decided not to do that. And of course, you know how that story turned out. Um eventually uh, uh Germany like every place else embraced pale lagers and uh
0: so was the was the uh, use of the term hellas a way to distinguish themselves from from Pilsner? Yeah,
1: it is. And the truth is that the beers are quite a bit different. Mm-hmm. So uh, when Germans made Pilsners, they were really very much from the Bavarian tradition. They were focused on these rich malts, these like uh, uh, flavorful malts. They were drier and crisper uh, than the kind of thick, hearty mm-hmm. uh, Pilsner style that was mm-hmm. coming out of Bohemia. Bohemia was much stronger, flavorful beer. Mm-hmm. Germans were much doing more balanced stuff. So it is definitely a different a different kind of tradition. and In fact, um, when we talk about Dortmund, Helles, and Pilsner beer in Germany, all those three beers resemble each other so much more closely than any of those three resemble Czech Pilsners, if you go to the Czech Republic now. Right,
0: yeah, which you mentioned in the earlier pod as well.
1: So that is that. Okay, now, so
0: now we're going to go to Weissbier.
1: This is the one ale style most Americans, if they think, if they put their mind to it, they would realize it's an ale, right. uh, a German ale. Right. So. Uh, and this is also an ancient style. This goes back about 400 years and may have originally come from uh, the Czech Republic. So, this may be uh, Bohemia's gift to Bavaria. So, what we have is a Schneiderweiss. Yeah, and this like is a. I chose, I chose this brewery because this is the brewery that basically kept this style alive. The, this was a wildly popular beer for. I like putting
0: my, like putting my mic in the, yes. in the glasses, the bubbles in
1: the I hope they can hear that. <laughs> I can maybe hear the dog walking around, but uh. <laughs>
0: yes, dog of the pod has been become agitated. I think dog of the pod is asking
1: for a walk. Yes, he is. Uh, so this this beer style, everyone knows this beer style. Um, it's one of the most popular beer styles, uh, German beer styles in America. It's the wheat beer that has lots of um, uh, phenols, which present as clove, mm-hmm. and esters, which present as banana. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and they're very quaffable and wonderful summer beers. Right. The brewery that kept this style alive was Schneider in Kelheim. Uh, at the time that it was keeping it alive, it was actually in, in uh, Munich, but they moved up to Kelheim. Um, it was it was really dying out, and they decided to resurrect or to keep the the beer alive. Uh, and uh, it is actually one of the few bright spots. Over the decades, it it did get alive in beginning in the 70s, uh, and really picking up in the 90s, it became a really popular style. It's one of the really bright spots in German brewing. It's Why, this is popular. sort of halfway
0: between, by the way, sorry, excuse me, but this is sort of halfway between uh, yellow and amber, which which is quite a bit darker than American wheat beers typically, I think.
1: Yeah, Schneider makes beer differently than anybody else, which is funny since they're the like the holders. People do not imitate Schneider. And this is not Schneider's uh, classic Weisse. This is visa uh, And I think based on the aroma here that it's an old bottle because uh, this is made, this is one of the beers that Hans-Peter Drexler uh, used. To demonstrate uh, local hollertau hops, Um, one thing he has learned is that hops, late edition hops in vice beers, do really well with the esters. They make a wonderful kind of combination, and so he's been making kind of American style vice beers.
0: Yeah. So this is this is um, by the way, it's also organic. Mm. Speaking of American style, so it's got organic USDA organic on the label. Yeah. Um, And yes, indeed, it 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 uh, it mentions Holotau hops. Holler Tower hops on the label, but it also mentions uh, another type of hop. Can you identify it? This is a challenge to you. Uh, I read the label, so okay, so you know that also has Cascade. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of American, I will not take credit.
1: Yeah, and then he was uh, he was one of the instrumental people in in coaxing the brewers in Holler Tower to brew American style. Or to grow American style hops, and I don't know that he was responsible for Holler, for Cascades being grown at Holler Tower, but
0: yeah, this one is interesting. This is sort of halfway between what I identify as a German Weiss beer, and yeah, it's sort of an American ale a bit. Yeah, it's definitely a hop forward and yeah, and, and it's not nearly as um, strong those phenols and esters.
1: Yeah, it's a cool. He it's it's one definitely. Um, there, there were three breweries in Germany that totally blew my mind that I would recommend people go investigate. Urga, which is in Düsseldorf, it's okay. an alt beer brewery. Mm-hmm. This brewery, which is in Kelheim, Schneider, and of course uh, Schlenkerla in uh, Bamberg. Those three breweries are amazing breweries and worth. So the Düsseldorf one is is Urge. Urge. How do you how do you spell that? U E R I G E. Okay. Are these breweries that
0: export that we'll be able to find locally? Uh,
1: you can find Urga a little Schneider bit. Schneider you can find because we have it. And yeah, and Schneider, is r- Schneider is r- readily available. Actually, Iinger is another one. Iinger is an amazing brewery. The, visiting the brewery is not actually the most remarkable thing. Mm-hmm. They are maybe the best lager beer brewery in Germany, okay. and um, you can get their beers regularly here at it. I I buy Einger quite a bit, and it totally knocks my socks off every time I buy the yeah, beer. Yeah, well, these I, are
0: good. See, this is good stuff for people to listen so they can find the store. So Einger is a good one to look for. Yeah. Uh, Schneider is another good one. Uh, Spaten?
1: Spaten, I think, is not making great beer anymore. Okay. I think Spaten has gotten big, and they're incredibly one of the most important breweries in the world. They're like Guinness important in terms of what they right. did to German brewing. But now, maybe not making the most interesting beer. Okay. All right. Well, we're
0: we're we're – nearing the end of our our journey what's the last beer we have here
1: so the last beer we have is a schwarzbier and if Schwarz we we've, we've kind of we sort of we sort of cir- circled uh mm-hmm. germany we started in berlin and we kind of if you look we kind of made a circle yeah, a we C. say we'd
0: over to the west just to talk about the the alt and the kolsch that are being made in the north part but are both um ales uh, although dortmund is uh northeast of Dusseldorf, and Dortmund Export is another version we talked about with Hellas Pilsner of uh, the light loggers. Then we went down to uh, Bavaria in uh, Munich, then we came up to Kelheim. Is that where...
1: That's where Schneider, Schneider is. is, yeah.
0: Schneider. Okay, and now...
1: Now, we're, there's two cities that are associated with uh, Schwarzbier, uh, Kulmbach and Bad Kustrich. Mm-hmm. Again, sorry, pronunciation. Um, sort of and
0: back northeast of Germany.
1: Yeah, so these, uh, Schwarz means black, so they're, they're, they're dark beers. And uh, long, long before, <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> this no, <is> I,
0: think <laughs> the, I think the microphone might have been a little too close to that. So this one is a swing top
1: beer. Yeah. Um, and
0: you heard me open it.
1: We certainly did. And that's, this is a M- Mundschaaf. And there's kind of two classic producers, Munschaf, which is from Kulmbach, and uh, Kustricher, which is from uh, Bad Kustrich. And again, I'm sorry, I'm pronouncing that wrong. I know I'm pronouncing it wrong. These beers long preceded, these beers were were brewed there for like forever, dark beers. Uh, And then at a certain point, they became lagers. So in the 19th century, when lager beer brewing started to spread across uh, Germany, these beers became lagers, but their lineage goes back dark beer, beer lineage goes back much longer than that. and these actually, as you're holding that up, you'll see they're they're pretty dark, they're like yeah, border this arc.
0: is as, this is as dark as the darkest one so far, which was the doppelbach, and I just hold, held them both up together, and I think they're sort of equally dark. There's sort of a beautiful red cherry hue uh, that comes through uh, faintly through the light. This one has just an amazingly creamy head. That
1: certainly does. That is quite a head. Yeah. That thing looks like meringue. It is. I'm just dipping my finger into it. Mm. Float a quarter on top of that sucker. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to try it. So Kustricher is the one you regularly find, and there's a couple of pubs in town that are...
0: are Oh, that's very nice because it's a dark beer with a nice flavor, but not
1: heavy at all. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's very... um, So one of the big differences with... From Sch- Schwarzbier, with all these other uh, Bavarian styles, mm-hmm. is you actually get the roast. Mm-hmm. So the Dunkels don't have roast, the yeah. uh, Box don't have roast, but this is a roasty style. This is very roasty, yeah. Roasty, not smoky. It's one of my favorite styles, and I think if you're a if you're a fan of um, dark beers, you should try the dark lager. In the United States, you will remember Henry's Dark and some of these other old uh, Shiner Bach and Yes, H- Huberbach. These things were were dark because of caramel color. They really had no flavor, right? And um, so, I think some people have a bad impression of dark lagers if you're of a certain age. Mm-hmm. But these these things are really flavorful and wonderful beers. And yes, in fact, yeah. If uh,
0: I was going to say if I was served this and not told what it was, it it's um, you know reminiscent of. Uh, an English-style dark beer, but it has that very clean, crisp lager finish. Yeah. So it's a great mix of sort of dark, roasty flavors, but a really clean, light finish. It's
1: it. They're really wonderful, and uh, one of the things that's great is they're not a very uh, heavy beer, so mm-hmm. if you want a dark beer during the summer, if you're a dark beer fan... Absolutely. It's actually one of the, the few beers that doesn't... Because, you know, the the ales, uh, the combination of the dark malts and the, the esters just make it feel kind of thick and gross and uh on a hot day Mm -hmm. a strong you know a stronger dark ale but this beer is refreshing anytime and i actually drink a fair amount a fair amount of actually the Kostricher more than the munschaff munschaff but um great beer style so there we go
0: well there there you have it Uh, a a quick and dirty uh, uh tour beer tour through germany
1: um so the, the the key things to remember here are Bavaria. You've got the Bavaria lager tradition, mm-hmm. the northern ale tradition, and uh, Weiss beers, which are the one everybody knows, which is sort of the the wheat beer tradition. Those are kind of the the, the big key things. If I would, if you know the, the that's right. And if you want the to Rosetta impress Stone. impress people in a party, you can
0: you can impress them with your knowledge that Weiss beer is actually Bavarian, but surprisingly an ale, not
1: a Oh, I want to tell you one, one last story here. There's yeah, I wanted to ask map. you
0: about this little dot here that has yeah. in it.
1: Yeah, so uh, right across – like at the same latitude of, of uh, Pilsen uh, across the border and just south of uh, Bomberg is this little region where uh, uh, Toigel beers are made. And these are, this is a super cool thing. And I've never been here, but I want to go. Uh, our brewing friend, Alan Taylor, who has mm-hmm. uh, Zweigel House of Brewing, um, has been there and talked about this. And I've seen photos. This is an ancient, ancient tradition in, in the brewing world where it's, they're community breweries. Mm-hmm. So they're not in, a, in anybody's house. They're like in a public brewery. Mm-hmm. And you can go there and make beer. Public, you just like go and make your beer and then you take your wort home and you ferment it at home and you can actually put out a little, at your house, you put out this little five, a six pointed star that is the signal that you have beer, And then people come to your house and like they're in their backyard and you can serve them the beer. Maybe you have a charcuterie plate Mm -hmm. and you can sell them your beer. And there's only five towns where this still happens, and it wow. is, and there it's wood fired. These are really crude old breweries, it, it's, and it's a kind of tradition that would have been very common in medieval uh, Europe, all over the all over Europe. Um, and this is the last little remnant of this tradition left in the world. And you can go there and have these homemade beers, essentially homemade beers made. And I've always wanted to go, and I would encourage people to go because it sounds like the coolest thing ever. And there's a little map. There's a thing online now that you can do it. And you just got to walk around these, these towns until you see a house with the, the Zweigel beer thing, and then you bomb in, and then you can buy your beer.
0: I think I remember that Alan Taylor, who learned about brewing in Germany and speaks German, uh, knows about it but hasn't himself been as well, as I recall. Who?
1: Alan Taylor. No, he has been. Oh, he has been. Okay. Yeah, I've seen photos, which yeah. are these breweries. You cannot believe how rustic these breweries are. They are old, old-timey breweries. Cool. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's that's our tour of Germany.
0: Yeah, and by the way, we've been referencing a map, which uh, Jeff drew, which we'll take a, uh, have a, a image of up on the, the Facebook page, which of course is a good way to introduce the fact that if you want to get in touch, uh, the... Birvana Facebook page is, is probably the best way. Uh, Jeff uh, blogs at the Birvana blog, also tweets at at Beervana. Uh And you can uh, reach us through email uh, through Jeff <laughs> at the underscore at yahoo.com. Um, you can find me occasionally blogging
1: at the Beeronomics uh, blog. We have to hold that thought. Our outro. We can't do our outro because we got an email question, oh, which we, email have question, to, yes. we have we have to answer. We our, we have to answer. Our first ever email question. Finally, yeah.
0: someone, someone took us
1: up on offer. The re- we've always wondered who the listener is. I can his name is is Chris McGowan. He's from Arlington Heights, Illinois. <laughs> now we know. Well, he's finally had a question, and here's his question. And I'm going to throw it to you because it's really a question for you. Okay. In your recent Big Beer podcast, you concluded that you think Big Beer will be uh, good for beer uh, long term, overall long term. The U.S. Justice Department is probing allegations that uh, Anheuser-Busch is seeking to curb competition in the beer market by buying distributors, making it harder for fast-growing craft brewers to get their products onto store shelves. Uh, uh, What is the craft uh, craft beer drinker to do when we hear about such behavior by big beer? I throw it to you, Patrick.
0: Well, uh, that clearly is anti-competitive behavior if they're trying to limit access to markets, um, which is exactly why we have things like the department of justice um uh the ftc and the fcc if it if it deals with communication all have uh armies of economists employed um that look at these things so i would agree uh when it's clearly anti-competitive behavior like that uh i don't think that that would be ultimately a very successful strategy anyway so i'm still going to end up being fairly sanguine about this because uh there are uh ways that distributors new distributors can uh, become involved in markets for example and the the growth of the craft beer market is something that distributors are really interested in um, as well so i think there's a lot of incentive um, uh, for uh, marketplaces to have craft beer on the shelf for distributors to be distributing that craft beer there's a lot of money to be made in craft beer um, so absolutely i mean when it's clearly anti-competitive behavior then that's something we should be worried about my point was and still is that i think that that ship has sort of sailed for the big breweries what they're really doing is trying to deal with as best they can the fact that their base market is shrinking Um, they're going through sort of retrenchment and consolidation uh, and they're trying to figure out how to get into the craft beer uh, market which is uh sort of fundamentally different was really the point I was trying to make that it's based on this different sort of style of brewing and brewing culture and brewing um, uh, um, not process but uh, sort of based on a different market people looking for sort of crafty beers um, I shouldn't use the term crafty because an <laughs> term. anyway it's crafted. craft yeah craft made beer uh, artisanal beer how about that uh, so uh, so so that's why I'm so sanguine about the, the market. I think that they're finding that the big brewers are getting pressure from all sides, uh, from all types of different uh, beverages, from distilled spirits, uh, uh, from craft beer, from wine. There's, there's lots of pressure they're having, and they're just trying to retrench in their own market. Um, I think they see craft beer as a different market and one that they'd like to get into, but they don't really know uh, how to do it very well, and they're not very well equipped. Um, internally to do so, and I think that explains a lot of the acquisition streak. So, absolutely, uh, uh, anti-competitive behavior is anti-competitive behavior. I have faith in in our uh, government regulators that they'll be able to shut that down. It'll be interesting to see what the government regula- regulators think about the the um, the merger, the proposed merger of AB and Sab Miller, because that's one of the things they're going to be talking uh, talking about if they think that there's going to be a significant. Uh, they call it a significant and non-transitory. Uh, price impact that affects consumers so in other words if they think that <laughs> that bud is going to get more expensive and stay more expensive as a result of this merger then that's one of the reasons they might prevent the merger as i said i don't think that's going to happen because uh the price there's price pressure from all all, all sides uh, so yeah so i remain i remain sanguine i trust i tr- i trust the regulators to um to make sure that there aren't there aren't sort of classically anti-competitive behaviors going on but again i think as a craft beer drinker i'm just not very worried about the big big brewers and i find it amusing that they're struggling and and uh, trying to figure out and i don't find it threatening at all
1: yeah and i'd add uh, i i do worry about distribution a little bit but one thing that's changed is uh, we do have the brewers association now they're powerful, important trade group, and mm-hmm. we have uh, the Small Brewers Caucus in both the Senate and the House that's looking out at this stuff. So I think it's going to be much harder for larger companies to pervert the distribution markets under the watchful eye of the Brewers Association and the legislature. So Yeah, on. I mean, there's, I mean, the, the there's a lot of
0: political power now that comes with craft brewing because there's a lot of people out there who are yeah. craft beer drinkers, who are craft beer enthusiasts, and there's a lot of new jobs being created every year by craft brewers. Yeah, way so, more than there is in big brewery. That's right. So I, I, think, I think that there's a lot of um, political clout they have as well. So once again, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, be the Pollyanna in this <laughs> <laughs> and say, don't worry, be happy, drink craft beer.
1: All right. Well, on that happy note, drink and and also drink some nice German beer because it's good stuff. And uh, I think um, people will find the diversity more interesting than they yeah. imagined.
0: All right. So, what what beer are you going to go out with here?
1: Uh, well, I have to say, find Patrick at beeronomics, blogging at beeronomics, and tweeting at beeronomics. And then let's go out. Uh, I'll let you pick first.
0: Okay. I'm going to go for the. Uh, oh, I was going to go for the, I was going to go for the the dunkel, but we've <laughs> we exhausted. So we look
1: at that. Us drinking hard drink hitting the dunkel hard there
0: you go Drinking. Jeff is going to give me a little more uh, I'll go for the rock beer alright so uh, how do we say cheers in, in German uh, Prost Prost that's right Yeah, we should know that
1: <laughs> <laughs> that one I know I got that one ok Prost Jeff <laughs> Prost Patrick